I want to thank Research Consultants International for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion in projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about research consultants. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic development organizations. Call them now. They can help you create real prospects. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. Today we got Kay Brockwell with us, and Kay's the owner of Future Focused Development Solutions up in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And Kay does a lot of work with our company, and she does a whole lot of work helping economic developers be more successful. So, Kay, uh, thank you for being with us today. My pleasure, Chad. Glad to be here. Tell these folks a little bit about what Future Focus does. Well, we do general economic development services. I have gone in and served as a essentially a part-time economic developer in some communities that don't have have the budget for a full-time person. I have gone in and helped with special projects, RFIs, preparing for site visits, what have you. I've done things like target industry studies, labor studies. I do some grant writing, just pretty much anything that your economic development department might need done, but since you're most likely a one-person shop, you don't have the time to do yourself. And I know we've partnered with you to do some labor studies and some targeted industry studies. And so talk about really what gave you this idea because you used to be an economic developer. You were a successful economic developer. So when you retired from that life, what made you think that these were services that folks needed, especially in some of these rural communities? Well, for 12 years, I was a one-person shop in Marion, Arkansas, just across the river from Memphis, Tennessee, and we saw a good bit of economic development activity, and it kept me pretty doggone busy. I was fortunate that I had some great allies I could call on. Energy was a huge help to me. The state, AEDC, was a huge help. But there were a lot of times that I needed more than one of me. And economic development is not something you can go down to your local temp agency and hire someone to come in and help for six weeks or two months because they don't know what, they're, what they need to be doing. So when I left Hot Springs, which was my last position with a community in economic development, I thought, you know, I believe that there is room 
for some business in offering these kind of services, particularly to small communities. Well, and, you know, we get asked a lot of times, you know, can you come help be our economic developer? And we tell folks, no, we can't do that because we represent multiple people. But but we can introduce them to folks like you that can handle a special project or be an interim or, you know, do reports or whatever. So I do think it's a, I think it's a demand and I think you're serving a, a good market there. And especially right now, the economy's hot. So a lot of our rural towns are probably seeing opportunities and maybe they didn't see a while back and they may not get but one or two opportunities, you know, every 10 years. So it's very important that they work it properly. That's exactly right. And I'm getting ready to work on a project right now of helping a community get ready for some of those opportunities. I'm going to go in and do an industrial site assessment for them. I'm going to do a labor study for them and going to present them with an economic development or an industrial development plan that's going to address what some of their potential areas they ought to be exploring actually are. Talk about your background. I know you came out of the newspaper business and I've seen, like I said, we've worked with you firsthand on labor studies. So I've seen you've got a real thorough understanding of those and I've seen how smart you are and how well those are done. So does that come out of a a newspaper curiosity or what what makes you tick? How'd you get from the newspaper business into doing this type of stuff? Well, it was it was sheer accident. I was working for the newspaper in West Memphis, Arkansas, and they had a woman that was serving as kind of a part-time economic developer in Marion on a contract basis. And I knew the mayor up there fairly well and, and had covered Marion for a good while. And I said, you know, Frank, if Nancy ever decides she wants to move on to something else, I'd be interested in talking to you about this job. And one day he called me and he said, okay, Nancy's leaving. We need to talk. And he hired me and said, here it is, do it. And I said, oh. (laughs) (laughs) So I spent about a year trying to figure out kind of what it was I was supposed to be doing and two more years learning how to do it. And then two years after that, we were a runner up for a Toyota motor assembly plant. Wow. So you you got to the finalist in Marion, Arkansas for a Toyota plant? Twice. Is that the one that went to Tupelo or... The first one was the one that went to San Antonio. Okay. And we never were, we were a contender for that, but that one was pretty well cut and dried, always going to go to San Antonio because they were going to make pickup trucks. And where are you going to make pickup trucks? You're going to make make them where they drive more of them than they do anywhere else in the country. Then two years, two years or three years later, they came back with the plant that eventually went to Tupelo. They announced that plant in February and down to... Uh, end of November, early part of December, I think that we were ahead in the race for that plant and Mississippi beat us out at the last minute. Hmm. Is that site in Marion still available or have they located it? It's still there. Okay. Yeah. You know, we got a big project right now looking up and down the river. So (laughs) it's as pretty a site as you could ever hope to see. All right. Talk about your background. I know you're from Tennessee. We're actually talking offline. So we're recording this the morning of March the 3rd and uh, there's just been some terrible tornadoes go through Nashville and I think up where you're from. So talk about kind of your upbringing of that area. And I'm going to make you tell your story about Pat Summit because as my staff knows, I use a lot of Pat Summit quotes when I'm trying to motivate them. So well, I'm, I'm from Camden, Tennessee, which is right up on the Tennessee River in West Tennessee. And in fact, some of the early and the west end of this line of tornadoes came through Benton County. I talked to some friends up there this morning, 
and it sounds like it went through within three quarters of a mile of the house where I grew up. Mm. So I've, I've been calling around checking on the, the friends and the kin folks and the home folks and everybody seems to be okay. There's been a little damage. I think there was one person killed in Benton County. And then I've got kids in Nashville or out south of Nashville in College Grove. So I've been on the phone to them, checking on them this morning. And I'm just grateful, awfully grateful that all my people are okay. But I did. I grew up in Camden, Tennessee, went to school at Memphis State, majored in journalism, was convinced from the time I was in about the seventh grade that I wanted to be a newspaper reporter. And that's what I went out and did for about 20 years and fortunately got out of it before the bottom fell out of the news business. So you summit story since I got to tell it. Yeah, I'm going to make you tell it. Played basketball in high school and Pat Summit grew up in Cheatham County, Tennessee, which just across the river from where I grew up. And we played them one year in a tournament. Pat was senior and I was freshman. So we're playing over in, uh, I think the tournament was in Erin, Tennessee. And we're over there and I'm sitting on the bench down at the end of the bench just huddled up trying to make myself as small as I could be and unnoticeable as I could be. And I'm here to tell y'all folks, I was praying, please, Lord, don't let them put me in this ball game against this woman because she is going to kill me. (laughs) Woman like to have scared me to death. I had never seen a ball player like that. Well, I saw her speak in uh, Nashville. They had a some sort of a leadership speech. She was one of five or six people that gave a talk, and uh, and I mean, she was the most intense person I think I've ever met. And I went, you know, afterwards, the folks I was with kind of knew her, and so we went up and talked to her a little bit. And um, I mean, she she was intense just in giving that speech. So I can just imagine playing ball against her. Scared me to death. They finally put me in the game, but she'd already scored her 45 points and sat down by that point. Oh, so you didn't have to, you didn't have to try to guard her. Lord, no. <laughs> but, you know, I saw her several, several years later. The SEC women's tournament was in Little Rock, and I went over and, and volunteered and helped out with it and just fascinated me to sit down there on the baseline and watch her because you're right, intense doesn't get close to it. No, no, it's honest truth. But I, I use her as quotes. I mean, she wrote a, uh, a book. I can't remember now if it was a top 10 or 12 leadership skills, but I use it all the time in different stuff. So my staff probably gets tired of me talking about it. But she's the type. But once you met her, you would not forget. <laughs> you know, would not. You, you would no, remember. You would Thank you, Kay. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners, and we'll be back with a lot more with Kay Brockwell right after this message. If you want to join our movement, which is to create economic growth for small to mid-sized companies, communities, and nonprofit organizations, please go to our website at thenextmovegroup.com, browse around, and you can see the different services we offer, all designed to create that economic growth for the small to mid-sized companies, communities, and nonprofit organizations. Most of our leads and growth has come from word-of-mouth referrals. So even if you don't need a service, we want you to know what we do. So when friends and contacts of yours might need something, you know what we do and you can refer us. So again, go to thenextmovegroup.com to learn more about the Next Move Group. (music) 
What advice do you give to folks? We have a lot of people that listen who are in rural communities. And what have you learned kind of is the, is the key to getting yourself on the map and, and, uh, and making a difference? What, what advice would you give the rural folks out there who might be listening as some inspiration? Well, you know, we were just talking about intensity and focus. And that's really what you've got to do. It's real, real easy when you're a one-person show in a small town to just start shotgunning. There are so many things out there you could be working on. And if you try to get around and work on all of them, you're not going to do any good on any of them. So what you have to do is pick the three or four things that if you can move that needle, you'll make the most impact on your community and focus on those things. And when you get one of those done, then go on to the next one. But I think it's really more critical in a small community than it is in a big one to have a strategic plan and stick to it. And one of the things that we work with Kay on, actually in West Plains, Missouri, is uh, we, we did a labor study. West Plains is kind of close to that Jonesboro, Arkansas area. We did executive search for West Plains, and then we did a labor study. And Kay led that charge. We were sort of uh, sitting in second base on that one, watching her. And one of the things that, that really impressed me was what you did. And I think a lot of small towns can relate to this. A, a lot of plant managers or HR folks in small towns say, we can't find any labor. We can't find any labor. And, and Kay was able, by asking the right questions and looking at data, to figure out in that town there was a wage threshold. And folks who paid over it, and I can't remember what it was without it sitting in front of me, but let's say it was $14 an hour, and that's not what it was, but it was something It was about around. 11, as best I recall. Yeah, she was able to show that the people that paid over that were able to attract labor. Now, it still wasn't easy. It's not easy anywhere to get labor right now. I don't care if you're in downtown Memphis or Nashville. But she was actually able to show that if you pay over this threshold, you're going you're gonna to be able to attract labor, whereas if you pay under, it's going to be a hard time. I think that's something that economic developers ought to be armed with because when their local plant starts griping at them and telling, and telling folks we can't attract any labor, I think it would be good to know if maybe they're just not paying enough. You know, supply and demand, they may not want to hear that, but, but the world revolves around supply and demand, so it'd be good to know if, hey, you're paying less than what it's going to take here, or if you're paying more and still can't get it, maybe there's some other problem. So talk a little bit about how you learned to do that. The first thing that I think you have to do if you're in a small community, there are not going to be, there's not going to be any data out there that you can access on the web that's going to speak to the wages in your immediate labor shed. Now, I do a lot of work in Forest City, Arkansas. I can't get a wage profile for Forest City, Arkansas with any of the statistics that are online. I can get one for the eight-county region of which Forest City is a part, but that's skewed because it's got Memphis in it and it's got Jonesboro, Arkansas in it. And those two are both going to pay significantly more than you're going to have to pay in Forest City. So we are, when I say we, Cody Slater, my friend that's the economic developer in Cross County, Arkansas, which is immediately to the north of Forest City and St. Francis County, we are working on a joint wage and benefits survey. It will be the, the employers in our two counties. And when we get through with that, we will have a good picture of what the wages and benefits are in our county. 
and then we can we can show that to people and say look you're trying to hire welders for $12 an hour and the average starting pay in this two county area is 15 you're not right. going to do any good and right. the instance you were talking about in uh, West Plain there was a company we talked to that did the change mechanisms for vending machines and they started out at $9 an hour and had a terrible time hiring people and keeping people. And then up the road, we went to a company that rebuilt automobile engines. And they hired at about $12 an hour, said they had a great workforce and had just a, a very minimal turnover. Well, that right there, and that's just anecdotal, that'll tell you that you've got a labor problem at $9 an hour that you don't have at $12 an hour. Right. And they were basically right across the street from each other. And and I, I remember the light bulb went off in my mind watching you do that. I said, you know, I, I've looked at a lot of labor studies doing our site selection work and others, and there's not many that breaks down kind of what is that threshold you need to get over. I think it's really smart. And I, I think too, a lot of rural counties in their labor studies that they do, they'll, you know, they'll, uh, and a lot of times they get EDA money or development district money to do it. So they'll group them together to look bigger, which is, I understand, but you're exactly right. If, if in the case of rural Arkansas or Mississippi or Tennessee, if you pull in Memphis or Nashville, why that is going to make you look bigger, it's also going to give you unrealistic wage expectations. So you got to be real careful. And I see economic developers a lot of time will just link to some labor study that somebody's done and, you know, maybe they didn't have the money to pay for it. So they just need whatever they get. And then I'll read that labor study. and It'll almost make me wonder if their labor's any good, you know, because it, I, I mean, I didn't think we're going to have to pay too much or what. So, so I think what you're offering there is very smart. The other thing that's a key when you're doing labor studies is you can't depend just on the demographics and the numbers. If you'll remember, we went out and we did interviews with what, 20, 25 employers when we did that labor study up at West Plains. And that's where, I mean, the numbers wouldn't have told us about that $9 to $12 an hour differential and the problem in it. It was the anecdotal evidence from the employers themselves that gave us that. And right. you've got to have that to have an effective labor study. I totally agree. And if you're recruiting a new company, you probably don't want to recruit a company that's going to pay below that. A, that's not really going to help accomplish much. You're just going to be moving the same folks around, you know, and B, they're going to get there and not be happy with what they found. So, I Absolutely. Think, I think that is a critical piece. So, Kay, give these folks your contact information, your website. We've got you linked as a partner on our website, but uh, in case they've heard something here and uh, maybe they want a labor study like this, so they know how to get a hold of you. Okay, you can reach me at the letter K Brockwell, B R O C K W E L L, at Future Focus DS. That's D as in dog, S as in Sam.com. And my website is www.futurefocusds.com. If you want to jot down my phone number, that's 501-762-5091. And also, we work with Kay all the time. And so uh, if you've heard anything in here that interests you, let us know, and we'll, we'll be glad to bring her in. Kay, is there anything that you uh, want to share with the folks I didn't ask you? Just that the more information and the more knowledge you've got about your community, and you've got about your state, and you've got about the target industries that you're recruiting, closer you're going to come to success. 
and labor's getting more important. You know, I started this business, Kay, in 2004. <laughs> I used to be the young guy, but I've been doing it now 16 years. I think you were one of the first people I met through SCDC. But, I mean, labor now is so much more important than it used to be. And so I would also say once you get one of these labor studies, um, you probably need to update it every year or two, don't you? How, how long do you think one is good before kind of its shelf life runs out? Ideally, you would update one every two years. You can stretch it to every three, but if you're having much change at all in your community, you really need to go every two. Right. All right. Well, Kay, thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. We appreciate it. Always enjoy working with you. And uh, I think your Memphis Tigers are going to have to win a game or two in their tournament to make the NCAAs, aren't they? Oh, Lord, we're going to pull them all on through. We're going to pull them through. <laughs> Mississippi State is squarely on the bubble. So we we got to probably win three more ball games to get in. I'm still pulling that DJ Jeffries will come back from that hurt leg and we'll have him for the, the tournament, the last maybe the last couple of games of the year in the tournament. All right. Well, good luck to y'all. I appreciate it. All righty. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.